Well, good morning, Kettlebrook. Hey, it's always good to be here back at Kettlebrook. I'm, if you haven't, we haven't met yet. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, and I love coming home to uh, to Kettlebrook uh, every opportunity that I get a chance to do so. Um, hey, how many of you, oh, last week, know know what was going on? What was what was going up up in Madison last week? Anyone know? It wasn't the Berkebeiner. Okay, that's a little bit further north. A little bit further north. It was the state swim meet, the the the, uh, the high school state swim meet. Now, um, that's near and dear to my heart because um, I was a swimmer when I was in in high school, and uh, and anyone, anyone here be a, be a swimmer at all? Anything like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and so, anyways, um, I remember I remember the high, swimming was the first high school sport that I went out for as as a freshman, and uh, of course we all remember the first high school sports that we may have gone out for. And, and the reason you go out for sports is, is not because we're all going to become professional athletes when we graduate or anything like that, all right? The reason you go out for sports is because there's all sorts of good lessons that you learn when you're in sports, okay? You can learn all sorts of, of good life lessons and things. And, and one of the things that I learned uh, very early on is, is the fact that when you're in a, in a high school sport, there are, there are certain expectations of you, Okay? Yeah, I remember um, it, was, it was the second week of practice for me, and I was, I was a freshman. I was kind of immature. I didn't know what was really, uh, you know, expected of me as, a, as, a, as an athlete. And um, I, I didn't really feel like swimming that day. And I had this kind of like, this kind of throat thing going on. And, uh, and so I went to Coach Blady, and I said, uh, uh, hey, Coach, uh, <clears throat> I got this sore throat thing, and, and I don't want to infect the rest of the team, and, and I don't want it to get any worse, and so... Um, so I don't think I'm going to swim today and I'll, I'll never forget what coach Blady did to me. He, uh, he, he stepped up really close to me and he got his face right in my face and he said, I just want to know one thing. Do you want to swim or not? And I'm like, yeah, I want to swim. He says, then go get your suit on and get in the pool. I'm like, Okay. Okay, you know, so, and, and, and I learned something that day. <laughs> you know, I, I learned that as, as, a, as a high school athlete, that there are, there are certain expectations that I made of you, that you, that you, you one of those that you're required to show up for, for practice. And, um, and, you know, and this is true in, in just about every endeavor of life. As we kind of step out of childhood and, and into maturity, we understand and kind of intuitively, naturally, that there are certain expectations of us in just about any realm that you can think of. There are, there are expectations that are made of us if we're employed. There's an expectation between an employer and an employee. There's an expectation if you're on a sport between a you know, coach and an, and an athlete. And uh, There's expectations if you're married between a husband and a wife and between spouses. We understand that in just about every single area of life that there are uh, appropriate expectations that are that are placed in this we kind of just normally intuitively uh, understand this except when it comes to jesus when it when it comes to jesus when it comes to following jesus uh, we just kind of think that 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 jesus never really has any kind of serious expectations on on us as his followers you know and, uh, and in reality, very few things could be further from the truth. Um, I don't know why we, we actually think that about Jesus. It, it, it could be perhaps 
that uh, it's because Jesus is just so kind and so forgiving. And so we think that he's going to, his attitude is going to be like, well, you know, in his, in his grace and his compassion, he's like, he's like they're human and, and they're going to mess up. And, and, and I don't really expect them to ever really actually get around to, to doing the, those, those things that, that I am teaching. Okay. But, but for whatever the reason, in reality, Jesus had some serious, clearly defined and high, high expectations for his followers. Jesus was, was a, a master leader. And like all master leaders, he was completely clear and unambiguous about what it was entailed in following him. Okay, there's this scene in, in Luke chapter 9 when uh, these potential disciples, these potential followers come to Jesus. And, and, um, and one says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, you got to understand, this is the deal. If you follow me, you're going to be homeless. Because uh, uh, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay, so that's part of the deal. Jesus said to another man, he said, come follow me. And the man said, yeah, I'll follow you. But first, can I just wait until my father passes away? Which was unknown at that time in the future. And he said, Jesus said, he was like Coach Blady. He kind of got his face in the guy and said, are you going to swim? Or not. And then that's what he said. And all these people kind of come to Jesus and they say, I'm, I, I'm ready to follow you, but, 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 but. I have this. And, and they all are holding on to this, this, this but thing that they, that they want to hold on to. And, and Jesus is just completely unflinching with his, uh, with his potential followers of what it actually means to, to follow him. Okay? And do you think that it's any different for us today? Like, do you think that since Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit, that he no longer has any expectations for us as his followers? Like, he might be like, all that serious stuff, you know, that I was talking about, that was for my original 12 disciples. But now that, you know, I've risen from the dead, I'm ascended to heaven, that I don't, I don't ever really expect you guys to get, ever get around to actually doing what I clearly articulated in the Gospels. I'm not so sure that, uh, that that's the case. I just got done reading through the Gospel of Luke, and even just a cursory glance through, through the Gospel of Luke. I was reading it in my own private devotional time over the last few weeks. And just, just a cursory glance through the Gospel of Luke reveals that Jesus was just completely unambiguous about what it meant to follow him. He just, over and over again, he just laid down the gauntlet. Just three, three times, just in a, in a just as, just somewhat cursory glance as I was paging through uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. He says, then he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, okay, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves. Deny their own appetites, their own desires, and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Okay, that's just one. Okay, just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 12. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you're not expecting. He says, he says, hey, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be following me. I want you to be about my, my business. These are very clear, unambiguous 
expectations that Jesus has. Next one, Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, hey, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying very clearly here, he says, your love, your commitment, your passion, your allegiance to me has to be absolutely first above any other allegiance, passion, love, or pursuit in your life. And this is just, this is really just a relatively cursory glance uh, through the gospel of, of Luke. And in fact, um, as we look forward to all these parables that we're going to look at in this series on, on the gospel of Luke, each parable has a, a, a different set of, of expectations that Jesus has for his followers. In fact, we could probably appropriately call this series that we're in expectations. Expectations that Jesus has of us as his followers. And the first one we're going to look at today is in Luke chapter 8. Verses, we're just going to look at three short verses, Luke 8, 16 to 18. And if you turn to page 731 in your brown Bible in front of you, you'll find this, those, those short, three short verses that we're going to look at. Now, while you're turning there, while you're looking it up, I just want to kind of give you uh, the big idea of today's message up front. Today, okay, there's no, no anticipation, no waiting for the very end. I'm just going to give it to you up front. This is the big idea. That Jesus expects that his followers will be faithful to, to pass on his words and multiply his influence in the world. Okay? That's an expectation of Jesus. Jesus expects that his followers will be faithful to pass on his word to others and to multiply his influence in the world. And we're going to look at three short, pithy, kind of cryptic statements that are, at first glance, somewhat seemingly unrelated. But as we take a little further look at each and every one of them, we'll find that they're actually very, very connected. It has everything to do with one another. So, as we dive in, I want to quick give you the context besides between these verses that we're going to look at today. And the context is actually uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. The whole, whole first half of, of the gospel of Luke uh, there in chapter 8. And in those first 15 verses, we have a very um, well-known parable that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the sower. Some people refer to it as the parable of the soils, okay? Because uh, you, have, you have a farmer or a sower who's going out sower se- sowing seeds and it falls on different a variety of different soils, okay? I don't want to assume that anybody is familiar with it here, but this is the, the, the gist of the parable. This is a farmer. He's sowing out seed, on, falls on different soils. Some falls on a path, and the birds eat it up. Another falls on shallow, rocky soil. It kind of sprouts up, but then when the sun comes up, uh, it, the, the, the seed dies, and it doesn't, doesn't produce anything. Uh, another seed falls in thorns, and the thorns kind of choke out the life of the seeds. They never really bear fruit. And the, finally, the, the one seed falls on good soil, and there's, there's this harvest, there's this produce that, that uh, produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. And Jesus' disciples come up to him, and they're like, Jesus, that was a, a good botany lesson? You know, do you want to tell us what you mean by that? And Jesus says, yes. He says, he says in verse 11, this key verse, I want you to find verse 11 in Luke chapter 8. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. 
The seed is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. So the Word of God is kind of the theme of, of this whole chapter here. It's the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. And the Word of God uh, falls on different people and, and has, there are different responses to the Word of God. Some people refuse to listen even to the Word of God and they're like the seed that the birds eat up. Some people uh, fall on the shallow soil and they uh, respond with energy and enthusiasm at once. But as soon as kind of some kind of opposition or persecution comes, people fall away and they don't don't stay with it. Um, some people um, are like thorns and uh, the, the, the uh, allurement of life, the entertainment and are all sorts of distractions and things, the stuff of life distract them and they never really end up bearing fruit. And lastly, lastly, the seed can fall on good soil. It stands for a noble and pure heart who hear the word and they receive it and they retain it and they do something with it. And there's a harvest 30, 60 or a hundred times that was sown in, in some in some versions, okay? And so there, we, can, we can glean all sorts of good things out of this. We can ask ourselves, what kind of soil might we be or what might we have a tendency towards? You know, we can, we can have, find encouragement to, to persevere through persecution and stuff like that. But I don't want us to miss the overarching principle of, of this whole parable that, that Jesus says is that he wants there to be a harvest, he expects there to be multiplication, okay? He, he, he wants the seed, the seed, the Word of God, to spread and to go out to more and more and more people, okay? And, uh, and so that's the context. That's, that's the background to these three verses that we're going to read right now, okay? So verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Clear? Right? Okay, so usually if we're reading this on our own, uh, we do what we always do when we come to a portion of Scripture that's pretty hard to understand. We just skip right over it and keep reading, hoping that we'll get to something that we understand, right? <laughs> okay, but, but Jesus doesn't give us that option, okay? He, he's, like, like the video says, he's intentionally vague here. He wants us to grapple and wrestle with his words so that we can not only understand them, but, but apply them to our lives. So, so let's just kind of take this slowly, one, one bite at a time, one chunk at a time, one verse at a time, and see if we can try to figure out what Jesus is getting at here. First of all, he says in verse 16, no one lights a lamp, and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. See the light. Okay, perhaps the best place to start in this uh, statement right here is what exactly is the light that Jesus is talking about here? Okay, what is, what is this light that, that he wants everybody to see? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to his followers, he says, he says, hey, you guys are the light of the world. Okay? Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Okay? So maybe the light is, is our good deeds. Okay? Maybe something like that. Um, in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, he says, your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light 
for my path. So oftentimes in Scripture, the Word of God is referred to as a light. It's a light right there. Okay, Jesus in John chapter 11 says, I am the light of the world. So, so, so what is it? <laughs> is it our good deeds? Is, is it the Word of God? Or, or is it Jesus himself? Okay, Take your pick. Take your pick. What is the theme, again, of, of Luke chapter 8? Go back to verse 11. The seed is the Word of God. The Word of God. So I would submit to you that the light that Jesus is talking about in this verse, no one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar, puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light is nothing other than the Word of God. And Jesus is saying, just as it would be really, really silly to, to have a light and then hide it under your bed so that it doesn't give light to anybody in the room, what do you do with a light? You elevate it. You put it up high so that people can see it, so that people can benefit, if, benefit from the light. And he's saying, in the same way, when you receive instruction from the Word of God, when you receive a Word that's been beneficial to you, that's been a blessing to you, maybe a source of encouragement or even a challenge, okay, don't let it stay with you. Put it up high. Let it pass it on so that others can benefit from it. The worst thing that you could do if you've received something from the Word of God, either in teaching here on Sunday or in a Bible study or in a missional community or, or even in your private devotions you're reading it, is to just keep it to yourself and not ever get a chance to share it with somebody else. If you share it, with somebody else, let me tell you immediately two things that are going to happen. One is it's going to be even more real to you once you share it with somebody else. And two is it's going to be a blessing to somebody else as well. And Jesus is saying, don't keep it to yourself. And so the question that I want to ask you for this singular verse right here is, what is your normal, natural response when you have received instruction from God, from the Word of God? Do you tend to keep it to yourself? Or do you pass it on to somebody, somebody else? Is there somebody in your life, in your sphere of influence, that you can tell what God has given you? Okay? That's the first verse. Then he says, for, for there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be brought out into uh, the open. Okay? Again, cryptic, mysterious statement here, Jesus. What are you getting at here? Well, he actually says this exact same phrase in a few other places. He's going to say it in uh, just a few chapters later when he's talking about the Pharisees. And he's saying, hey, listen, don't be like the Pharisees They're in their hypocrisy. For, you know, everything that you say in secret is one day going to be disclosed. So be careful that what you say in secret is congruent with what you're saying uh, in, in the open. But I don't think that that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. In, um, in a parallel verse to Luke chapter 8 in Mark, Jesus, Jesus says this in chapter, chapter 4 of Mark. He said to them, do you bring uh, a, in a lamp and put it under a bowl? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? Okay, we just got done talking about that verse. For whatever is hidden is, what's that word? Meant. Meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant 
to be brought out in the open. So Jesus is saying that there is something that is hidden and it has its intended purpose is to be disclosed, to be proclaimed, to be brought out into the open. That is, it is meant to do it. It's, it's got, it's intended purpose is for that. The only question is, is what exactly is that thing that is said, said in secret and in, in, in hidden? The next verse kind of talks about that. Again, exact same phrase, very similar phrase that Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 10, or Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's sending out to heal and, and cure diseases and do all sorts of crazy stuff and, and proclaim the kingdom. And he says, he gives them a little bit of warning. He says, not everyone is going to receive your message with joy and enthusiasm. Okay, there's going to be there's going to be some who openly oppose you. There are going to be even some who persecute you because of the message that you bring to them. Okay, and so but then he says this, he gives this word, this word of encouragement, but he says, so do not be afraid of them. And again, here's our statement. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you. Okay. What is it that's meant to be disclosed? Again, from Mark, we hear that this whole message is meant to be disclosed. It's what Jesus is telling us. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your proclaim from the rooftops. And then he says again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, Jesus, prior to maybe contrary opinion, Jesus did not spend most of his time preaching in large crowds in, in open air like what we do on Sunday morning when he's preaching to the 5,000 or something like that. Okay. Uh, usually what Jesus spent most of his time doing and spending his time with is his 12 disciples. Teaching, training, instructing them, pouring into them. And Jesus is now saying is that what I told you in private in, in, in when the 12 of us were together, I want you to go out and proclaim and to share with others. When I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your, I want you to proclaim from the rooftops. This is exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. And by extension, he is telling us as well. And the whole theme that Jesus is kind of framing up here is this whole idea of fear. He says, so do not be afraid of them. It's bookend, beginning and end. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Okay? So it it begs the question, what or who might be preventing you from sharing the word of God that has been given to you? Is there anything or anyone that you might be afraid of? That prevents you from passing on that light, from elevating that light so that people can see. Jesus is saying, what I have said to you is meant to be proclaimed. What, I've, what I have said in the dark, in private, I want you to speak out in the daylight. I want you to pass on to my word. But, but in the context of all that, don't be afraid. Don't let the fear of man stop you from sharing. In fact, he's going to go on to say, he says, he says, you know, the worst they could do is kill you. <laughs> you know, not a big deal. <laughs> if they do that, guess what? Your soul is still very much alive, safe and sound. Okay? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Is there anything that's keeping you 
from sharing. I was so inspired by a, a, a young lady that I met uh, in January. In January, I got a chance to go to travel to Turkey. And I, I visited um, some friends of mine, uh, Daniel and Olya. Daniel and Olya are um, Moldovan. They're from Moldova. And um, they uh, live in Turkey now, but they didn't always live in Turkey. They, uh, they lived for seven years in a city called Tehran. Anyone here ever hear of Tehran at all? Tehran is in the middle of the, the most kind of tyrannical uh, is, um, Muslim uh, extremist empire in Iran. And, uh, and they lived there as students for seven years. Uh, Americans can't hope to ever even get into Tehran, but who's going to be afraid of a few Moldovans, right? You know, so they went in there as students, got as many graduate degrees as the, the government would let them get in Farsi over the next seven years. But while they were there, they were sharing Jesus with students. And, uh, and, and one of the gals that, that they shared with is this gal right here. She lives also in Istanbul now. And I got a chance to meet her and hear her story. Um, she, uh, Olya was, was sharing, uh, sharing Jesus with her. And they're comparing and contrasting the Quran and the scriptures. And they're doing this uh, over several months. And then, uh, and then she got desperately sick. She got desperately sick. She went into the hospital. And when she was in the hospital, they gave her the wrong medicine. And she went into a coma. And she almost died. And while she was in her coma, Jesus appeared to her. And he healed her. And when she came to, the doctor said it was an absolute miracle that she survived what she went through. And, but when she came to, she was, a, she was an absolute believer. And she went out and she began telling everybody that she could about Jesus. Isn't that cool? Like any, everyone and anyone that she could get her hands on. And she is part of an underground movement in Iran that is turning that place upside down. The fastest growing church in the world today, by most standards, is the church in Iran. It's growing right under the noses. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's growing right under the noses of, uh, of the Islamic authorities, and they can't do anything to stop it. In fact, I want to encourage you to watch this documentary if you get a chance to. It's called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. You want to make sure you get Volume 2. It's not so easily seen right there. It's a, it's a two-hour documentary about the church in Iran. And I tell you, these people are absolutely fearless. They are not letting anything stop them. And I'll tell you, this is, this is what they do. If you, watch, if you watch the documentary, you're going to find this out. They get together in small groups. They read the scriptures, and then they ask two foundational questions about the scriptures. This is what they ask. If this is the word of God, what are we to do? Okay, that's a question of application. And then they say, if this is the word of God, who are we to tell? It's a question of multiplication. Who are you going to pass it on to? Who are you going to hang that light up high so that others can see. And the church is spreading like wildfire in Iran, all over the place today. And we here in the West, meanwhile, back here in America, we are the most resourced church in the history of the movement of Jesus Christ. We have so many resources, so many Bible study methods. If you don't like what I'm saying this morning, you can go online and listen to 50 podcasts. You know, I don't care. <laughs> 
But we have so many resources and we do so little with it. Let me tell you, most of us here in this room have more theological knowledge than most Iranian pastors ever will. But they're going to go out and do a hundred times more with the little bit that they know than that you and I will ever get around to doing. And the only appropriate response that I can think of in light of that is a posture of humility and learning and saying to our brothers and sisters, we have so much to learn from you. We have so much to learn from you. We need to be a church that when we receive the word of God, we're faithful to pass it on. It doesn't stay with us, but to pass it on to others. I'm going to let you look at that last verse on your own. There's some, uh, some uh, parallel verses you can look at in your, on your bulletin. But, but, the, but the gist of it is this, is that one day, one day, we're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to ask us the question, what did you do? What did you do with the word that was given to you? And for some of us, that's not going to be a very comfortable moment at all. But, but I don't want to be guilty of being a pastor and not being very, very clear to you that Jesus has expectations for us as his followers. And one of his expectations is that we'll be faithful to pass on his words to others and multiply his influence in our world. Let's pray. Father, we know you love this church. And when I think of Kettlebrook, I think of all the amazing things that you're doing here and the people are doing here. But we struggle because we're, we're still Americans. And we struggle to do the very things that you've taught us to do in these verses today. Lord, some of us, the, the best thing for us to do might be to go home and repent and say, I don't want the Word of God to stay with me anymore. I want to pass it on. Is there somebody in my life that I can just share what I learned in a disarming way so that the seed of the Word of God doesn't stay with me? Lord, we pray that that you might be glorified in our midst, that we might resemble more and more our brothers and sisters in Iran, where the church is growing and the word is spreading. May it happen here amongst us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.